right, welcome everyone. This is another episode of That Record Got Me High. I am your host, Rob Elba. As always, it's wonderful having you all here with me. Uh, just real quick, I'm going to say this one more time, and then we're not going to talk about it anymore. But if you notice, uh, if you use Spotify at all, I'm not on Spotify anymore. That Record Got Me High is no longer available on Spotify. There's many reasons for this. But at the end of the day, Spotify, I know I know it's easy. We all use it. I mean, I still use it from time to time. I try not to because it's not good. Spotify is not good. They make millions of dollars, but most artists don't see any of that. They don't see anything from it. it unless you're a huge artist that gets like millions and millions of plays, you just don't get anything. And it's just not a good platform for many reasons. And it's not good for me and my podcast. And I, you know, I made a decision and the decision's going to hurt a little because I know a lot of people use it, but you know, what am I going to do? But if you're listening to this now, you are, you're listening to it on something else. So that's great. Whatever you listen to, I would appreciate it if you subscribe to it so you can keep listening and maybe tell other people about it, but that's it. I'm not on it anymore and we're not going to talk about it anymore. Okay, but what we are going to talk about is we're finally discussing the Cocteau Twins. And that's great because people, for years, I'm telling you, I've been doing this uh, podcast now for like five years, over five years. And people are saying, you haven't done Cocteau Twins. And some guests have even talked about maybe doing it, but they just, no one's pulled the trigger. So my guest today, this is great because my guest today just happened to be a label mate with them uh, at one time. You know her as the singer, songwriter, guitar player of the band Lush. Later on, she played with Perushka, and in September of 2022, she published her fantastic memoir called Fingers Crossed, How Music Saved Me from Success, uh, to rave reviews, because it's really great. I read it, and I highly recommend it. I mean, if you love uh, rock and roll memoirs, this is unlike any you've read, because it's super honest, super meaningful, and there's uh, it's, it's just really great. Uh, and I'm so excited to have her on. Uh, she currently performs with her band, the Mickey Barini Trio. And best of all, she happened to have been visiting her mom here in L.A. So we did this in person. And I will tell you right now that she was a delight. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the wonderful Mickey Barini. All right, I think we're ready to rock and roll. Cool. Or whatever we or whatever we're calling this. <laughs> Cuz that's the thing, you know, a while ago I got in the, I, I because I got tired of putting uh, genres on everything. You know, you say, "Well, what is it?" and you call it like, you know, oh, a dream pop or shoegaze like that. And it's like, I don't I want to get out of the habit of doing that, of just um categorizing a music and a certain thing because usually a lot of the stuff we like is it's it's you know it's different it's uh it, it isn't just one thing right yeah it's quite difficult though isn't it because i i often get asked if someone doesn't know what you know oh you're in a band what kind of music do you right, do right right yeah and it's like oh god like yeah it's it's really difficult isn't it it and is because you could just say well my Rock and roll. It's, it's just rock and roll, but it's like, obviously... It, and then it, they're going to think I'm doing like Little Richard covers or that, something, right? That's it, exactly. <laughs> but at the end of the day, that uh, what I was thinking, especially listening to the record that you're going to talk about today, was that it's so far removed than so much other music that I would listen to, especially at the time. This came out uh, in what, like 1984, it is 80s, isn't it? Shit, I'm trying to think. Um, uh, yeah, it was released uh, November, yeah, 1984 on 4AD. Oh, okay, yep. okay. 
And um, yeah, and you know, coming up in the late seventies, I think we're around the same age. I'm a, I'm a little older than you, to be honest. But uh, I'm got. Do you know what? I, the other day, I actually realised I was making myself a year older. <laughs> I think I'm. I'm gonna be 50, no. I'm gonna be fifty-seven this year. Oh, I'm gonna okay. be fifty-seven in March. You're yeah. younger than me, then you are. <laughs> okay. But uh, so you know, did you kind of skip the whole like listening to? I actually know. I'm gonna uh, Mickey. I'm gonna ask you questions that I already know the answer to because I I did read your book. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> but but I'm going to ask as if I don't know. But you came up listening to, it wasn't immediately rock and roll, right? You were listening to like uh, things from the TV and show tunes and things like that, right? Uh, different things, right? You didn't immediately dive into rock music, right? No. And I think I put a lot of that down to, first of all, having parents who were, well, my mom's Japanese and my dad's Hungarian. So they're kind of... You know, the music that, I mean, my dad quite liked, you know, Elvis and whatever had filtered through to Hungary when he was growing up, right. you know what I mean? Or, yeah. or when he was living in London in the 60s. But they didn't have like a lot of kind of a, like they, they knew about music, but not really, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, right. like a big thing. And when I was sort of growing up, I didn't, it wasn't really like we had a, we had a sort of stereogram with a few records, but it wasn't like a thing right. for my family. So I think for me, a lot of the music came through the telly, which was always on. Right, right, and right. And it was that era where you're always, you've always got those kind of Hollywood musicals were always on the telly. And yep. so kind of, you know, adverts, telly stuff. And, and, you know, England had like its pop shows, like Top of the Pops and Old Grey Whistle Test, which was a more slightly later on but more late night and you know whatever but you know right. there was music around but I didn't really have I didn't have an old, older sibling either that's it who yeah. was so like, many um, people they they get introduced from their older sibling playing the record stuff but yeah you didn't have so that. I didn't actually like I probably didn't hear David Bowie till I was like you know 15 or 16 right, because I right, would have right, just right. heard it on radio one or something rather than having some brother next you know in the next bedroom who's playing t-rex and and Dylan and God knows what, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah no, that's it. Because that's the, my, my experience is different just because I had an older sister. So she right. had Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin records and Neil Young. And I, I, you know, heard all of that. And so that's what I mean when I, when I first, my first music was more of these rock bands, you know, these, uh, these, these very, very male rock bands things. So later in the eighties, when all this other, you know, other music that I, that I really liked, but I realized it was, it's so in a way, it's so far removed from all that. For sure. And also because I suppose it's pre-internet. Like, I think it's really difficult for people to understand now, especially if they're younger. Yes. The inaccessibility, you know, like if you... Exactly. We had like Radio 1 during the day, which was basically chart hits. And it wasn't till I was a bit older that I discovered that there was like evening radio. And then you had like John Peel, who was a, a big influence on a lot of people growing up in the kind of 70s and 80s uh, because he had like a late night radio show that played a really eclectic kind of choice of music. Right. And this Cocteau Twins Records is probably, you know, that's when I was listening to John Peel when I was like 16, 17 years old. So right. that was like having, you know, someone's really eclectic record collection that you could listen to and then get into. But otherwise, there weren't really any channels. And there was a local record library. Well, there was a local library in Wilsden and they had like a handful of records, really not many. Um, so I do remember getting 
like John Lee Hooker. <laughs> oh, okay. And I think the searchers, I remember getting a searchers record. I saw her today, I saw her face, it was a face I loved, and I knew I had to run away. You would just grab records, whatever records you yeah. can get, right? And check them out and, and then, listen to them. And then you had to kind of, you know, you were slightly committed to liking it because you could only borrow a certain number of records a month. So I'd sort of think, okay, well, I'm just going to have to learn to get my head around this sort of music. That's, what, that's the thing. That's what, I, that's what I always go back to a lot is that back then we used to have, we'd have more invested, especially if you actually bought a record or you got something, you'd, you'd want to like it. You'd want it because like you said, you, you'd have it and you'd want it so you'd make yourself. But now it's so disposable. You know, someone checks something out uh, YouTube, they'll play like, uh, like 10 seconds of it and decide right away if they like it or they don't and then that's it. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, have that, and so. they'll probably only listen to one track. Right. Whereas, yeah. you know, I'd be sitting there going, you know, like this is, I've now got two new records that I can listen to this month. Right, so right. So I'm just yeah. going to have to learn to love every track. <laughs> yeah, you're going to, no matter what, you're going to listen to the fuck out of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this album, so you chose Cocteau Twins' Treasure to talk about. Yeah. So what specifically is uh, is this record, was about this record that kind of got you high and kind of blew your mind? Um, I think the Cocteau Twins were... A, a huge, huge influence for um, probably any one of my generation who was into indie music. Like, I think it's rare to find a musician of my generation who doesn't at least love one Cocteau Twins record, right, unless they right. hate the whole lot. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Right. But but and Treasure was like a. a I think it was for a while. It was like I, I think the Cocteau Twins are. A, a bit like the Beatles in that way, like people sort of end up citing different records and Treasure was your favourite for a while. And then like the the kind of landscape changes and I think now everyone's very heaven or Las Vegas. Right, that's you know, true. Yeah, that, that ends up number one in a lot of lists, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, I'll be honest. When you picked Treasure, th- I, to myself, I thought, hmm, I wonder why she didn't say Winner Las Vegas because other people have actually talked about doing that, and, and at the end, uh, they've ended up changing their minds. So that's been brought up a couple of times. But I think this one, which first of all, I was surprised that this is their third. I didn't realize this was their third record, so I didn't realize they had two records because this is my first. Uh, the first time I heard them was this album. And I did it in real time. It was like 1984 on college radio, probably. I was living up in Massachusetts at the time, Boston, and they would play them. But yeah, it, it was just something that it immediately sticks out because it doesn't really sound like so many other things, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it was probably quite a transitional record. So I think Garland's is the first record that they did. And that's much more raw and kind of, you can sort of hear the kind of banshees influence right right, right. you know it's much more minimalist and this was like when it i think when it came out it was like oh my god this is like you know this is where the kind of voice of an angel stuff comes right right in with liz and and all that kind of shimmery guitar like it's it's more polished but I do love it because it still has a lot of that rawness to it. 
It, yeah, it, it really does. And I didn't realize it. I, it. It took me a couple times now going through it again where I realized, wow, some of it's actually more minimalist than I would think. There's not a lot going on. But and there are there's some harsher sounds. And, and yeah, we'll get into her voice, too, because I love one of the things I've always loved about Elizabeth Fraser's voice is that duality to it when she could have that just that sweet, barely there whisper. But then she could also sound kind of hard and kind of shouty hard, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And it's great. And a lot of times right there in the same song or right next to each other, which is really cool. Yeah, let's uh, so let's get into the first track, which Evo, I mean, you, you know, we're talking about it, but obviously you're you're coming at this also not just from a fan, but you ended up working with these people. (laughs) Exactly. So it's quite a kind of um, intermeshed history. And I think so. Yeah, Evo, as it's sung, but. Ivo was the kind of, you know, he ran 4AD Records, right. which is the label that the Cocteau Twins were on and the label that Lush ended up signing to as well. Yep. So uh, I think this is, it is him that it's sung about. But when you first heard this, this was before all that for you, right? You didn't know any of that. No, no. <laughs> right, right, right. So right. I think when this record came out, I was about 17. I think we met Robin and Liz in the, we, me and Emma ended up meeting do you know what? You'll have to read the books. So I'm not going to go into this again, but we basically ended up meeting the Thompson twins. Yes. And, <laughs> and Tom Bailey invited me and Emma to the, like they had some am- album launch, which was in some really fancy kind of um, mansion in Hertfordshire somewhere and had all sorts of pop glitterati there. I think Frankie goes to Hollywood with there and the Eurythmics. Anyway, me and Emma were like 16 year old schoolgirls running around totally overexcited right and robin and liz were there Ah, and we went up um, and we said hello to them and giggled a lot but (laughs) so that was on my first meeting with the cocktail twins that's great one you know one thing that i was amazed at on your book aside from the from the raw honesty that (laughs) that that is uh just i think we were talking about it before i turned uh that on but i just was saying that i that i love reading uh memoirs like rock memoirs but i love them when they seem so honest that someone's not trying to make themselves look good or anything that you could tell they're just being honest and those are always the best ones to read but i was amazed by how much you remember i I know you said you you uh, journaled a lot and wrote all that so is it how did you actually writing this did you go back to your journals to see all these shows that you went to because you went to you saw so many bands when you were young it was like crazy yeah yeah, I did. I used to be quite an obsessive diary writer. Oh, okay. And I would argue, I mean, it's it it's good for researching a memoir, or I found it useful. It's not great for factual detail. Oh, right, it's right. It's quite good for <laughs> where my head was at, which was usually somewhere quite messed up, actually. Oh, right. But it, do, it did kind of bring back vividly the times. So I think when I was writing the book, I could sort of, inhabit that mentality again and and feel what it was like to kind of go through those teenage years right 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 and I do always say like you know it was it was because people go oh it must have been really fun to read back over those diaries and I was like no it wasn't (laughs) oh yeah right inside the mind of a teenager is not a fun place to be it's not a fun place right oh my gosh yeah (laughs) all right let's listen to the opening track Oh, 
So was your first exposure to them seeing them live or hearing them first? The hearing them uh, like on the radio? Or oh, something? no, I heard them first. You did? I heard them first, yeah. So me and Emma were both like sort of massively into the Cocteau Twins, I think. I mean, it was, they were quite a, I don't know, I suppose when I think back to that time, like that kind of 83, 84, I do actually think like London music scene was, was very factional, you know. So oh, right. like me and Emma as teenage schoolgirls, we were just into everything. So we would go and see any band. Right, right, right. All right. the time. Yeah, it wasn't like you were just seeing the uh, goth bands or seeing whatever certain genre. Right, yeah, you just but most to see people were quite factional. So if you went and saw a certain band and said, oh yeah, I was at the Sisters of Mercy last night, you know, right. they'd be going, oh, what do you want to see them for? They're bloody rubbish, <laughs> you know. So, so people, yeah, people kind of had their sort of genres that they stuck to. And I suppose it was very kind of youth tribes and stuff. So that's how people identified. And I think Cocteau Twins probably fell a bit into, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not even sure that goths particularly liked them. They were quite studenty, I suppose. Right, right, right. And it was kind of indie proper. Right. But I always remember, um, you know, I, I think I saw the Smiths a lot around the same time. And I remember reading an interview with Morrissey where he really slagged off the Cocteau Twins. Oh, a shocker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Partly because he was going, I hate all that nonsense about when you can't hear the lyrics properly. Oh, okay. okay. And I do remember thinking, well, that's a bit mean, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I get that the Smiths have got great lyrics, but surely you don't want everyone to just be exactly like you. Right, 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 right. right. So I never really understood Maybe Morrissey that. does want everyone to be just like him, I think. <laughs> Well, I guess so, but but I think for me and Emma, you know, being in that world of music, it really was about, I guess, like I said, you know, like like getting a record from the record library, there was an element of making yourself like it. Right, right, right. There was right. this sort of thing, well, if all these people think it's amazing, there's got to be something in it, even yep. if I'm... I'm struggling to adapt, yes. you know, to understand it. Yeah. yeah, that actually happens to me on the show a lot because someone will bring a record in that I think maybe, I don't think I like that record, but then them they sort of uh, convince me, well, there has to be something why this person, you know, is picking this one record that got the maybe had such an effect on them. There's usually something about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and usually that is the case. All right, so this next one, Lorelai, this was the first one I heard on a college station in 1984. I'll never forget it because, like I said, it didn't sound like really anything else at the time. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of Lorelai. <laughs> Thank you. 
this is a good example of what I was talking about because it sounds so lush and full. But if you're listening to it, there's not there's not many instruments on this one. There's that bass line, and there's that one. It sounds just like one uh, guitar, you know, being processed, and the keyboards and her voice, and that's it. Yeah, and I think I remember going to see them. Actually, it was probably just before this. It was '83 when I first saw them, and they just had like a reel-to-reel on stage. Oh, okay, okay. With all the backing stuff, right. and then you had Robin playing guitars, his guitar through an effect. Right. Simon on bass, and 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 you know Liz doing her vocals. There wasn't much going on. Right, right, right. Do you know right. what I mean? So yeah, yeah. Probably not a million miles away from what was actually produced live. Yes. And. It actually kind of struck me as I was listening to this that it's interesting to me that she's got clearly such an amazing voice. Yes. And maybe that is the thing about that dream pop thing is that they're still quite sunk within the track. Do you yes. know what I mean? Right. Like now, nowadays, I think if you had a voice like that, any producer would be going, well, obviously, we're just going to stick the vocals right up the front right right everything exactly. else is going to sound like it's in another fucking room yes right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and, right which is the thing i always really loved about all of that kind of music was that it's the music is as important as the melody like that's the point is yeah, that there right. are some really interesting chords and and odd bass notes that that sort of jar a bit even though it's such a tuneful and bright song yes yeah it adds that complexity oh yeah you're right that's that's so funny you're you're that's so on point because yeah the the pop stars of today that what they do like billy eilish and things like that even though you know they're great but they do they put their their vocals like right up there they're like they're like right up front and center and you don't know with with her voice i mean i i guess it, it isn't just by accident i mean they they did obviously a great job in placing it but it's not like you said it's all it's just like another instrument in their in their music now the big thing i was going to ask you do you consider yourself a lyric i know you're a songwriter and everything but you can do you consider yourself a lyric a person like are you are you keen on lyrics and songs or because the one thing about them is that I never, for some reason, that never seemed to be an issue for me. <laughs> Where normally I consider myself a lyric person, but I never, it never really bothered me that when you think about it, you can't really hardly make out what she's saying. Half the no, time. I have no idea what she's singing. Right? <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm really bad at getting lyrics right. Oh, even okay. if they're quite <laughs> obvious, I'm, I'm famously get things wrong. Right. So actually, I, I think that's what, I used to quite like about the Cocteau Twins because like I get asked, right? I get asked about my lyrics. Sometimes people get those wrong and then they tell me what they think they're about and they're like, and they want me to tell them what they're actually about. I do tell them sometimes, but I just sort of think it kind of spoils it. It does, I believe that Because I've had songs where I've thought, oh, I love that song. And then I find out what it's about and I go, oh, no, okay. (laughs) My my version was way better. Yeah, yeah. And the great, yeah, the cock, I remember that Lorelai, I always thought, is she singing about a cup of tea or something? That's what it sounds like to me. I have no idea what's going on in that song, none. But it's not, I mean, I guess for some people, it's sort of a bone of contention for some people. I know that if, if there are, because there, believe it or not, there are people that hate the Cocteau Twins and don't, and that was a, that could be a, a uh, negative against them was that, well, you can't understand a word she's saying, or she's not singing English. You know, what is she singing? But I don't know when something's so beautifully well done, it's like, it it seems like that's not even, you know, who cares? Yeah. And I quite, (laughs) it it adds to the slightly otherworldliness. Yes, right, exactly. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
but it's just it's sort of odd little kind of syllables that that yeah yeah well uh, that's it it's a, which i believe that a lot i believe sometimes you know great lyrics you know obviously you listen to bob dylan you're you're paying maybe uh, really paying attention to the lyrics but sometimes it's just how they sound how the yeah. syllables work together and how they sound in the song and i think it just depends on the on the music or the band or the lyric. i don't i don't know i just i never think that there's one way to do something the way that that band does it is the way that they do it. And then you kind of appreciate that. You right, know. right, 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 right. All right. So, uh, Beatrix, now, do you know anything about all the songs on here are, are names, are female names, some of them obscure, kind of like obscure, maybe old fashioned type names. They are. They're very sort of chocolate boxy Victorian names. <laughs> right. They sound Victorian, like to me. Yes. But I think, again, I think, I mean, I'm I'm just surmising this. I don't actually know. But I think that possibly Liz's way of singing was, you know, she was quite playful with, like she would get hooked on just the sound of things rather than the meaning of them. So I think all these names like Sicily and Lorelei and Amelia, and they're kind of like evocative of a certain thing. Evocative, and she just liked how they sounded and to name a song that. Yeah, which is great. I I love that. And Beatrix, uh, to me, I'm thinking this is like a chamber music in a way, like weird chamber music. That's exactly what I thought. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Kind of churchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, but it's great. Let's just do a little bit of Beatrix. so great and I, I read something uh that she because she, she herself said that um you know she preferred she wanted listeners to just focus on the sound and the emotions that were coming out and, and you know not on the words but did you did you read what a, a, a japanese what the japanese labels would do because they wouldn't put their lyrics on it but japanese label would would insist on including lyric sheets and they would just put put shit on there like <laughs> totally not what <laughs> You know, lyrics or just make up shit just because they wanted to have lyric sheets in there. Which is, which is probably actually quite a Japanese thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> if I think of when I used to go out there, when when you used to get all those Hello Kitty things, and right? They would just use English phrases that didn't make any sense at <laughs> okay. all, and and they'd get them wrong. You know, right? Right. My dream is cloud something or whatever. <laughs> Just a load of words, do you know what I mean? Yes. So that probably worked brilliantly for them. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. 
All right. So we have another name. Uh, Persephone. Is that how we're pronounced? Yes. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. Persephone. A song like this in particular, I feel like as ethereal and everything it is, it still rocks. This song rocks really hard, right? Yeah, it's pretty powerful, isn't <laughs> it, it? It is. It's got that electric, obviously an electric drum sound, but it's just the the beat, the pounding, it's primal. It's kind of primal in a way. Yeah, and Robin's kind of going for it, isn't he? With oh, the yeah, with the guitar. There. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is very rock and roll to me, but it's so funny because I know, I'm sure there's certain people that would just hear it and go, oh, that's like, you know, that... Uh, that uh, 80s, you know, that, that 80s sound, that's like the opposite of rock, the antithesis of it, but I don't yeah, think I so. Yeah, I suppose it's when, I mean, I think that was, yeah, maybe that was quite an American thing as well, you know, when synth music came in. I think all, so, yes, for there sure. There was a bit sneered at, wasn't it? Whereas oh, yeah. I think there's something, see, I think a lot of that music, I, I really liked the kind of bleakness and there's a sort of, griminess to it that I think was very British in you know it's it's quite unglamorous and it's just thudding right right right, you know it's even her voice in that song is just kind of yeah it's quite shouty I mean Liz used to do this thing when she would perform those sort of songs she'd kind of beat her chest as she was like singing it was quite something to see and See, I think it's, I used to come out to see my mum in LA around that time. And, and I did know people who were really into like American rock who, you're right, would listen to that sort of stuff and just think it was like kind of, oh, it's really like pussy music. Or right. I mean, they think of it as like really pathetic and weak. Whereas I thought, really, because a lot of the American rock that you're listening to me sounds like really quite slick and uh, yeah and kind uh, of that, toothless uh, yeah, tooth- yeah right comparatively yeah. like i love a lot of that stuff but my god if you're going to talk about raw emotion and kind of really delivering like a wallop to me this sort of music is more edgy do you know what I mean? yeah no i think so i used to always say i remember and it used to piss people off because some uh for a while people like you said they had that same opinion about someone like the smiths and i said one of the heaviest rocking shows i ever saw was the smiths i saw the smiths live and those guys rocked you know i mean and and it's just you know uh, you're coming at it from a different angle 
But uh, yeah, I just don't know. I mean, I mean, I guess you can't help it. Everyone's got to have their own opinions, right? Yeah, and I suppose this is kind of culturally, it's just quite a different landscape, isn't it? I mean, I think, to be honest, even the idea of a woman singing in that way, I think if you really boil it down and you listen, you know, to this band, that they're very young and they're from, you know, some tiny little place in Scotland. Well, two of them are, you know what I mean? And right. actually for three people in a drum machine or effectively a drum machine on stage I think they made a hell of a racket and oh yeah a lot right. of kind of rawness and power to it Agreed. um and I think it was quite you know in a funny way very unladylike <laughs> <laughs> which I think I found very appealing yes <laughs> now one thing I wanted to ask you so you you were obviously a, a fan first and then you end up, um, Robin Guthrie ends up uh, producing, you know, uh, a Lush album and you're working with him. It, was it hard to separate the, the fandom from working with someone and he's working with your band or anything? Was that, was that something that was always in the back of your mind or did you just sort of put that aside? I mean, it was there at the beginning, right? right? I mean, I'm not going to lie. The first time we had to go in and rock, record with Robin, I was just terrified. Right, right, right. Not right. least because he worked with Liv. And I thought, Christ, <laughs> this is just going to be appalling. But um, but it kind of swiftly went because Robin was, I mean, he's very funny and he was very down to earth and there is nothing pretentious about okay. him. And he makes filthy jokes and he was a boozer and, you know, any kind of like idea that there would be this ivory towered kind of, you know, sort of, fairy dust sprinkling kind of artiste was swiftly swept aside by his general manner right, <laughs> and, right. you know yeah. sweariness and, and, and he was probably and he was probably fine with what you were doing and putting down I mean I, you know uh, in reading your book it, it's so interesting how you were kind of thrust into the whole <laughs> into the whole being the singer of the band you weren't supposed to be the singer of the band and you really didn't you didn't seek that out at all and you were thrust into it but I feel like uh, of course maybe you had you know reservations from time but you didn't you know you didn't need to have those because you had you had your own style and you and you you know if you just got over all that and just did it it was great and obviously it was great and people eventually you know came you know would come around to it but you maybe were your own worst enemy at the time because like you said you're thinking with this guy oh well he worked well yeah no one's not everyone's going to be uh <laughs> going to be her but that doesn't mean you still can't be a great front person for a band either you know yeah maybe i mean it took me quite a long time to get there I, yeah, i'm not yeah. gonna lie <laughs> I, I i struggled a lot and you know and and actually weirdly i did a Thing. I did like an event like last year with um, David McCallmon, who um, worked with Bernard Butler, you know, back in the 90s. McCallmon and Butler, I don't know if you know. Anyway, he's got an amazing voice, and I did this event, and anyway, it was a tour. We were doing this like chat that was about singing stuff, whatever. Right. And he did a song live, like literally unaccompanied, just singing, because right. he has this astonishing voice. And they were saying, oh, did you want to do a song? And I was like, absolutely no fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. And he was kind of being a bit like, oh, but, you know, you shouldn't say that about yourself and blah, blah, blah. You know, you're a singer and whatever. And I, and I do think, look, I, you know, yes, I'm a singer. Yes, I sing my songs, whatever. I still hold by the fact that there are 
you know, there are people who can sing and they confront a band and the, and the band becomes, you know, associated with their voice and you love that voice because you love that band. Right, right. There is a difference between that and there are people who have this voice that is just astonishing. Right, right. And That's separate. David McColmon, Liz from the Cocktoes, <laughs> right, you know, right, these right. are a step above. They and are, but still, at the end of the day, I always, some of my favorite singers are people that traditionally people don't think they're good singers at all. And there's usually some of my favorite singers. For sure. <laughs> and, right? and, and I think it might have been, might have been Viv Albertine, actually. I think I saw some interview where she was talking about how actually people who've got very trained voices kind of turn her off a bit because it's there's something about the untrained voice that projects emotion right. better. There's a kind of, you know, it hasn't been glossed away with kind of technique. Yeah. And I do think that's true, actually. I mean, there are people who don't have technically brilliant voices, but they are, you know, amongst the most moving. Yeah, right. Or they have the charisma or there's just some character to it that you can't, that no matter how great your voice is, sometimes you can't. All right. So this next one, Pandora in parentheses, it's for Cindy. Do you have any idea who that is? I have absolutely no idea. All right. I was just taking a shot. Maybe we did. (laughs) But it's still a really pretty song. Let's listen to Pandora. one thing i wanted to bring up i forgot the thing that seems crazy to me is that most everyone in this band did not like this record right <laughs> they they did not uh, they were not happy with it oh really yes and they've all said in separate interviews <laughs> that they were just they were a dismay at the record and it's like so crazy you know when you listen you think what what are you insane do you know what though i think i think people with their own music i do understand that like you know, I think if you make a record yourself, um, you only hear the faults, right? Right. right. It, it's 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 quite tricky actually. And I I mean I had this actually with after Lush, I did this band Poroshka. And the first Poroshka album, like Moose, actually can't bear to listen to it. Oh like, really? He was like, we didn't have enough time. I didn't know. I okay. couldn't. Blah, okay. blah. It was so much. 
And I always stand by it. And I said, yeah, but the thing is, Moose, is, you know, there's something to just capturing the moment, right? Right. If you start fiddling around with it too much, you lose some of the energy. I get that it could have been a more polished record. You know, I, I mean, I know what you mean, actually, thinking about it. I do remember Simon saying, there's base things that are wrong and I should have changed. <laughs> but I do think that at the same time, it does capture a kind of rawness yeah. that of that band at that time, which is is now actually, to me, really precious because that band went on and made many more records that were actually slicker right. and more polished. And to have that, I think, is really important, you know. Yeah, and- yeah, it is. But he he probably should j- just not listen to it anymore, though. He, he shouldn't listen no. to it. I mean, but I don't I would- re- listen to my records either. But I was I listening to it. Or I was actually listening to that earlier today, and I think it sounds great to me. I- <laughs> well, you know, it, it is what it is. And I do think, I mean, funny enough, I was working recently with, um, or I'm going to, I don't know, I was, I was with Debbie Googe from My Bloody Valentine. And we were just talking about, um, you know, Kevin's recording, you know, how it goes fucking on and on forever, yeah. right? <laughs> yes. And, you know, that's also quite, I mean, as brilliant as the Valentine's records have been, you do think like, fuck me, I couldn't do that. Do you know what I right, mean? That's right. like really wringing the fucking guts out of something to me, yeah. you know? And, um, and I was wondering if maybe that was part of it. Maybe they just didn't have a good time recording it or something and it was a miserable experience and sometimes that uh, colors it. Because, I mean, just reading, have, have you? I was wondering, have you ever had like a recording experience where it was totally, you were totally happy with it and that? Because it just didn't, it didn't seem like it, that in your book, I mean, it seemed like there was a lot of, you know, there's always like, you know, when other people come in and they have their ideas, what they want to do. And it's just, it, it's, it's really hard. People... A lot of people do haven't done it, don't appreciate how hard it is to go in and try and get down. You know, you have these these ideas in your head and these songs and to actually get it down the way you're happy with it when you're working with other people. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's difficult. You know, I think with Lush, it was always a little bit fraught because me and Emma, you know, wrote our songs pretty much separately. After about the first, you know, handful of songs, we right. were quite separate. And I think it suffered a bit from the my songs, Emma's songs things. And then there was a bit of competition and, you know, how much time was spent on them and whatever. And, and it would kind of ruffle feathers, you know what I mean? And I think picking singles, all of that, it just became very political. But I do think that that's part of being in a band. And sometimes that tension can actually produce, you know, quite good results. Right, right, right. It's just always going to be a bit of a nightmare going through it. And <laughs> And, you know, equally, I think there are bands who can go in and, you know, I mean, there's probably records that or songs that I've recorded that was like, oh, that was really good fun to record. But they're just a bit shit. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay. so you never know. It's, it's like right, the, right. The, the good time you have doesn't necessarily equate to it being an amazing record. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, all right, so um, I was going to ask you when you originally. So when you got, would you? Uh, these records were vinyl. This was still a vinyl then for you, right? Yeah. Uh, this uh, treasure was uh, vinyl, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So you, what, what, do you remember the point when you started when you transitioned from vinyl to CDs? Because I remember. I, I didn't go quickly in that. I, I liked my violin. I didn't like, I didn't think CDs were going to last. <laughs> I, what I did like about CDs is that I never liked cassettes. So right. the portability, because I think like the Discman came out right, like not right, long right. after a CD player. Right, Do you know right. what I mean? So that was already quite immediate. Yes. And I think my first taste of CDs was when we signed to Warner's and they had 
you know, loads, we would come over and tour and then you could just fill your boots right. out of their kind of store <laughs> cupboard That's great. and then listen to them on tour. So in that respect, actually, I, I did like CDs, right, but right. I did miss the sort of large format of the, of the, you know, especially being on a label like 4AD, if I think of some of those like Oh my records, God, yeah. Beautiful. Those albums are works of art. <laughs> yeah. And there was something to that kind of, you know, you know, the sleeve notes and the solidity of this huge sort right. of piece of slab of vinyl or whatever. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So we do turn, if it's the record, we turn it over to side B, Amelia. I uh, just, I want, I want everyone to pay attention because uh, Guthrie has these uh, chord changes. Sometimes you 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 listen to uh, Liz's voice, and that's sort of. Uh, you, but if you pay attention to the what the guitar is doing and some of his chord changes, they're really great and they're really unexpected. Like he goes through unexpected places with them. I feel like, and uh, and and yeah, it's great. I noticed that in this one. Let's listen to a little bit of Amelia. <laughs> it's that kind of it's quite interesting that whole section where it, the vocal is just on that one dun, 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 yes and yes. then all the chords are sort of shifting right, underneath right, it. right yeah and uh yeah sometimes you uh take it for granted because you're so paying attention to what she's doing but yeah uh, it's just he's very interesting and i know you're a smiths fan too you're a big smiths fan do you ever because sometimes in this next song especially i hear john i'm, I'm imagining uh johnny marr and um and him are, are fans of each other. I would I would imagine. I don't know if it's true, but I would think so because they're both very such great guitar players and make guitars sound different than you know your standard run of the mill uh, rock guitars. But they're different. But they're completely different from each other too. Yeah. I mean, I think again. Uh, oh God, you know what? There was one of those Rolling Stones. I think it was oh, they just came out recently. The two hundred yes. guitarists, <laughs> which I'm going to really cynically say that this is because now everyone has to be more diverse, and in order to fit 
various like women and people of color into these lists they've now had to expand it to 200 right, <laughs> rather right, right, than yeah. just so they can still get their kind of you know <laughs> great white rock guitarists in there I, I, right? don't, I don't think you're wrong I don't think you're wrong <laughs> and the problem is obviously when you expand it like that there's just so many glaring omissions there are and... or people that maybe really you have this one above this one <laughs> Yeah, because I, I don't think they put Andy Gill in there from the Gang of Four. And I was like, well, you just, I mean, that's ridiculous. It you can't, ridiculous. that's insane. Yes. Right, right, right. And I don't think they had Keith Levine in there either. Which no, I and I think they had, ridiculous. and I think a lot of people got mad because Kurt Cobain was really high up there. And it's like, all right, Kurt, Kurt Cobain, great frontman, great uh, great songwriter, but no, not a guitar player, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You're not putting him up in the top 20 with these other guitar players. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think... I mean, I don't know. I mean, I get the impression that Johnny Marr is an extremely nice person and probably is very complimentary about every guitarist. I think, yeah, you're, right. <laughs> you're probably you know? right, yeah. But um, <laughs> I think, you know, there's, again, there's that kind of, I suppose, like really reductively, when I used to sort of travel a lot between America and, and the UK, I always thought of America as more like rock and, and Britain as more pop. You know, that's oh, right, not to say right. that there isn't any crossover. Obviously right. there is. Yeah. But in the kind of distillation of it, and I even found that with a lot of American bands that we toured with, like even a band like Weezer or, or Flaming Lips or any of these bands who were kind of had quite a pop sensibility them, to themselves as well. Right. But, you know, the they actually would love things like REO Speedwagon. Yeah. And, you know, one of their favourite <laughs> British acts would be Queen. Because, yes. you know, and they love all that kind of God, epic, long, bloody rock songs, you know, whereas yes. British bands tend to come from more, you know, it is things like the Kinks or something. Even if you're like a heavy metal band, it's the Kinks. Right. They're still pop songs. That's do you know it. what I yep. mean? Yeah, yeah, I think you're exactly right. Yeah, and that's why there are, I mean, I've uh, right from when I started getting the music, Imports, I went right to the imports because I, I just was that that was the music that initially spoke to me when I started getting my own stuff was that, you know, the things that were coming out of there. But, you know, uh, there's room for Ario Speedwagon, too, I guess, maybe. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. But not on this show. All right. Um, Aloysius, is that how we're pronouncing this name? Aloysius. <laughs> I think there's also a fascination because all of these bands are so, all these tracks are so easily mispronounced, yes, aren't they? Uh, I'm, uh, yeah, because you don't know if she's, because half the time she's... Al Alois Aloysius. Aloysius. Persephone. All right, well, let, let's leave it. I'm just going to say this is track two on the second side. Thank you. 
just as a side note, listening to some of these songs, I think of the part in your book when those uh, when those idiots in Pearl Jam broke your twelve string guitar. <laughs> did you ever get to re- replace that guitar properly? Like properly replace? That oh, guitar? they no, they did get it fixed. I mean, it was. Oh, they did. Okay. It was. Yeah, it wasn't a great fix, but it was. It was fine. <laughs> And it wasn't, I mean, it, honestly, it wasn't like malicious or something. I think no, the, no, no, I no, think no. the hilarious thing was, was that they must have had 40 guitars on tour with them. And, right. I, and I had two. Oh, no. Right? So it was like, <laughs> Your spare guitar. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was kind of it. Yeah. It was, but, uh, it was sad. I said there was, there was some sad parts in the book, but for me, that was. One, yeah, <laughs> that no, was I was, sad. I was not very happy that day. I'm not going to lie. Um, no, no. It's funny, actually, have you got all the. I've sat here banging on about sleeve notes and the wonder of vinyl, but I'm not actually sure. Do you know where this was recorded or, or who produced or what, how at that, all those kind of details? Because I know bugger all about it. But by the time I worked with Robin and we record, you know, they had this studio called September Sound. Oh, okay. And it was just, you know, racks of effects and right. it was all completely, you know, constructed to for the cocktails to kind of record in and you know obviously it was their sort of domain and and set up perfectly for them so right. i did wonder whether but that was the their, early night was that the early 90s already that was yeah it was about 1990 okay yeah. i actually found it a palladium studios okay edinburgh in edinburgh palladium so I guess this was before that, before they had, probably after this uh, this album, maybe they were able to build their own, start building his, his own yeah. studio and everything. So I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, I, I don't know what the, I should ask Simon. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I imagine that, you know, I do think that Robin in particular really want, liked having total control. Oh, um, right, right. Yeah, well, that's, that's one thing I heard later on. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the whole control thing. Yeah, I mean it worked. I, I do remember when when Lush did like a we did like a appeal session, which I mean obviously you won't know, but when you know most bands went through this when they did like a Radio One session, what happens is it's great to get it, but you go in and you know there's literally you have to re-record the song and there are engineers there and they and there's real you're at their mercy you're at the you're mercy at their of whatever mercy. they're going to do with you right they're, it's BBC, so they were very weird. Even like you couldn't even plug in an amp; they have to call someone up, you oh. know. And it's like it's a bit fucking weird. But actually, when we did our session, Robin came in and he was like absolutely backseat driving. Oh, like nice! Standing behind the desk and going, "Yeah, so, yeah, vocals down, vocals down." That's great. <laughs> yes. That's great. How great that you were able to do one of those, though, right? That's uh, how exciting is that? Yeah, no, it's brilliant. It was brilliant. <laughs> that is brilliant. All right, so this next one, Sicily. I, I'm thinking, in this one, for some reason, I thought a lot, when you just hear the music, some of these, especially this one, I feel like it could sound like, you know, at that time, and, and later on, they influenced some people to have that kind of 80s sound. But if you imagine someone else singing with them, it wouldn't be the Cocteau Twins, it wouldn't be the same at all. Like, if, if you just got some dude singer <laughs> singing this, like, it could be just bad, <laughs> like bad 80s. So, uh, I feel like, uh, you know, that's kind of an obvious thing to say, but how much she adds to uh, to their music and uh, the appreciation of it, you know. It's the, sure. it's the combination, obviously. But um, some some things like this, like uh, listen to it and, and, you know, a lot of times the production doesn't stand out for me. It just sounds like them. But for this one, for some reason, I did hear a little bit more of the 80s, you know.
do you hear what I mean? Especially at the beginning of it, it could. It, 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 I think it's that sort of synth stab, yes. isn't it? <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's the thing right. that does. That's the thing that dates it. It does. It does <laughs> date it. But once once Elizabeth comes in, then you're okay. Then, okay, it's a Cocteau Twin song. I'm fine. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's hard sometimes. Although, and and I will say, um, I was revisiting. You know, as I'm reading your book, I'm re- revisiting Lush too. And and I don't think Lush falls. Uh, um, uh, you know, it, it's not. Uh, it's not as noticeable with Lush. It's not as bad. Some '80s bands, you just can't take that away. It's so '80s sounding, and maybe because it's just a little too slick or something that that you hear that. But with Lush, I don't feel that as much. I, I feel like your albums. You know that, that I'm still paying attention to the songs and the melodies more than the production you know maybe i don't know because things like that go kind of in and out of fashion and then they become something that's quite loved don't they oh you're right (laughs) yeah yeah. do you know what i mean i think that we're old enough to have seen things go out of fashion and then actually become emulated by a later generation and you think god i always thought that was really naff (laughs) and then you sort of you hear it back and you think i know i can't kind of see what they're getting at you know it has a charm of its own because it's it does have From right. A, that's it. It does have a charm of its own. Which you could say that. Yeah, that's every uh, every generation. I guess has their own thing. I, I was going to ask you about your kids. Like, are you? Would your kids listen to something like this? Are they into this? Or what? What are they into now? What, what is their music? There. I mean, into? I do not. I do not want to pre like even tread on any toes. Oh, you know, okay. it's like being parent. <laughs> if I say something, it will be it will be something that they were into six months ago, yeah. and they'll go, "I never liked them." <laughs> How dare you? Like, <laughs> so no, you aren't going to have to ask them personally. Okay, all right. They <laughs> are both into music. They I'm are. just not going to fucking That's go smart. There. You know what? That's smart. That's very smart. It's a very evolved thing to say about your kids. Because some people, yeah, try and get to. Yeah, I had, I had a guest on recently. She was so, she was upset because her daughter, she loved this band and this record she brought in. And she goes, my daughter just doesn't like it. And I go, that's okay. Your kids aren't supposed to like all the same thing you like. That's fine, you know, but yeah. She said, one of the reasons I had kids was so I could share my music with Okay, them. that was okay, bad idea. <laughs> yes, I did know someone who, when he was his wife was pregnant, was talking about how he was looking forward to being able to watch some sort of European art house movies with him when he when he grew up. And uh, okay. I was like, uh, good luck when you have no idea what being a parent is, but <laughs> exactly. you'll, learn, you'll learn, right? Uh, all right, so the penultimate song, Utterly. I, 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 I like this. It's just sort of like an interlude. It's almost not even almost like a song. It's just like an interlude. But I like how it sort of brings you into the final song of the record. And uh, it's very cinematic sounding to me.
dreamy, right? Beautiful. Yeah, it is. It does actually remind me that what you were saying earlier about, you know, Liz's vocals. And I think for a long time, I don't know if people still feel this, but it wouldn't surprise me that, you know, people look at the cocktails and they, and they just think, oh, it was Liz's vocals. Without Liz's vocals, it would be nothing. But I do actually think, you know, to me, the Cocteau Twins, they are a band. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, the music is written and you can tell from... Obviously, that's not going to be their most famous track, but, you know, that's how the songs are built. Yes, right, They right, are right. built sort of music first and then, you know, and everything grows out of that. Yes. So, and I think it's interesting that, I know it's easy to sort of level this at people because obviously a band has its heyday, but, you know, it is the kind of most landmark thing they've all done musically. Do you know what I mean? The oh, yeah, Cocteau yeah. Twins, they've all gone on and done other things. Right, right. But the Cocteau Twins really is the three of them working together. And, and it's where everybody's kind of real soul yeah. lies with, it, with, you know, the fans of the music are going to love those records, really. Right, right, right. And then maybe some of them might not agree with you but it's still true absolutely absolutely <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because i think there's something and it's not just the music it's the interplay of how they were live you know there's a certain romance around them that, that's the magic of certain bands they just have that magic that the people together at that time and too, you do, right? i think you need that as well you know that's what makes it quite legendary I yeah think. legendary and of course it usually ends badly but that's how it does for sure <laughs> That's part of the legendariness. Exactly. <laughs> Let's have tragedy as well, you know. <laughs> Frank Black had a great quote because someone asked him, I think back when the Pixies broke up maybe the first time, but they said, why are you breaking up? And he said, every band breaks up eventually. Name a band that doesn't break up. I mean, yeah. the bands go until they're not a band anymore. <laughs> I mean, that, that's Wise just words. the way it is. <laughs> exactly. All right. So we get the final track. I really like this might be my favorite song on this record. Just revisiting again, I realized... It's just like, I don't know, there's something about it. I think it's, I, I think, I, I just can't, I keep going back to the fact that them saying that the album was clumsy and everything. And it's like, I feel like it's just put together so great, so great from beginning to end. And this is a great end. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it in a little bit into it because it's really a slow builder. But uh, let's listen to a little bit of Danamo.
Yeah, I love it. Just at the beginning part I played, it almost reminded me of what you were talking about, what you used to listen to before, to listen to like show show tunes or something like that. It sounded like something that could be in some like show production or something, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, that's remarkable, that track, actually. Yeah, it Like is. it has, it's, I just think it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I've lost the power of speech, actually. Um, <laughs> I think it's, it Make has. Make up words like Liz does. Well, it has kind of like movement. <laughs> right, do you know yes, what I mean? Yeah, it yeah. doesn't even feel like verse, chorus, bridge exactly yeah yeah i'm sorry i'm getting way too pretentious now no but... no no no. it is i mean that's part of the thing you know uh, a band like this that's one of the things you love is that you really can't quantify when you try and pick it apart which i guess is the idea of this podcast but sometimes some things you, you just gotta enjoy it <laughs> for what it is and accept it for what it is and uh yeah it's great but it does sometimes it sounds like otherworldly you know like how did this all get together like that and actually it's sort of interesting isn't it because at that beginning bit like you said all the percussion is just coming from the from the vocals. Yes, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. And then right. you get that, and then the percussion, like the reel comes in. Yes. And it's, yeah. It's great. Yeah, it is great. And it's, uh, uh, yeah, so obviously um, this was a great record to pick. And like I said, I was a little surprised at first, but then it, it makes perfect sense. I'm amazed that how many episodes have you done of this podcast? Uh, we're up to like 340 and no fucker has picked the Cocteau well, Twins. Well, now uh, a fucker has. I'm so sorry, that's, that's absolutely insane. <laughs> I'm is, glad to right. be the first fucker to pick Good, it. Good, okay. I'm glad. I'm so <laughs> glad you did. And uh, all right, so once again, I just got to mention, uh, the newest thing is the uh, memoir, Fingers Crossed, How Music Saved Me From Success. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't recommend it enough, but it really is. So you're surprised. I know you were telling me that you are kind of surprised about the reception it's getting and how how much people are. I mean, were you honestly, were you kind of were you nervous about putting it out at first just because it is so honest? I mean, I, I didn't really think about it that much. You know, I got asked. I asked. <laughs> I got asked to write the book. So first of all, I always have to say. It's not like I wrote this book and was then looking for a publisher. Oh, right, right. I was asked if I wanted to write it and had to start from that point. Right. And it would never have occurred to me to write a book off my own bat. And it took me a long time to actually decide to do it because I just thought, I just thought it just didn't really make sense to me to that anyone would be interested. So the point being that when I did decide to write it, I knew that, this is my one shot at writing a memoir and it has to be how it has to be the sort of book that I would want to read. And I am not a big reader of rock biogs because as you said, a lot of them are kind of a bit, you know, Oh, look at all the wild times. Self -aggrandizing. Yeah. Just self -aggrandizing. or you could tell some of it's not even real that you're just kind of, you know, uh, it is just a, uh, there's just an unauthentic thing to a lot of them. And, and I understand that people have a, a kind of, you know, especially if they're famous, properly famous, not like some someone like me, <laughs> right? You do have an image to preserve and you do have a lot of fans who don't want that kind of destroyed, you right, know? Right, right, right. And there's an extra pressure there. Well, I felt quite liberated from that because I'm, my, you know, Lush has split up. I end the book, you know, uh, uh, you know, the point when Lush split up the first time. It doesn't even cover like the reunion. Right. So a lot of that was safely in the past and I can tell it how it really was you right. know and I don't have some ongoing concern to sort of preserve whatever ego or reputation at all you know and and also I just think the truth is actually more interesting oh, I mean yeah. I would hasten to add that 
Emma and Phil disagree with 90% of what I've written about, you know, large, but it is, you know, I would always argue that, you know, an autobiography says more about the person who wrote it than anything else. So, you know, it's always going to be from one person's perspective. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, honestly, as as interesting as it was, uh, the the band interplay and things like that, and especially the Lollapalooza tour, which was insane, bad shit, crazy. I mean, just your life in general and what you did, and and the fact that you you did all this so young. You were so young. Do you ever think like what you did at your age when your kids were that age? Did you ever? Could you imagine them doing the things you did when? They- when they were that age? Well, I think, isn't that the shocking part of becoming a parent? Yes, it is. Especially once they go through teenage years, you think, you know, it does make you reassess yeah, what yeah, you yeah. did at that age. And you think, fuck me, I was only that I was only that age. Right, right. So, yeah, I do think some of it. But it's great. great. I think it has a, a, it's a strong message, I would think, for young people to read just because you did, you you had, you know, and, and it's not like you wallow in, that's the one thing I was so impressed with. Like some things you'd read and someone could just be so, um, woe is me, and but, but, but you don't get that sense of it. It's like, holy shit, you know, she, there was a lot going on, but she said, uh, fuck it, I'm still living my life and I'm doing this. And it's like, it's very... Uh, it's a good message for people because I think everyone struggles. Everyone has different struggles in life, whether it's their family or their own mental, you know, issues and things like that. So uh, it's it's cool. inspiring. I think it's very inspiring. Oh, okay. Well, I'll let you say that then. No, it I'll, was. I'll just lap that up. Okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and it made me want to give you a a a hug at times. Just hug you at times, but. Uh... <laughs> All right, but uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, available everywhere, anywhere you get books. I highly recommend it. Fingers crossed. Also, uh, you guys are like playing out still, right? Peroshka was a thing for a while, but I've now got the Mickey Bereni trio. Oh, the Mickey Bereni trio. Yes. That's right. Okay, which you are still, you have gigs coming up, right? We Yes, we will be coming to America in the spring. I, they're still not totally finalized, but I'll, yeah, yeah, we're going to, we'll be over. Oh, in, nice. In end of May beginning of june yeah. los angeles coming to los angeles i'm pretty sure there'll be an la day in all there right. yeah i will be there then <laughs> <laughs> all right it was great we were going to do this over zoom which would have been horrible but uh it ended up uh yeah i happened to be visiting my mum. yes and rob very kindly picked me up from a um second-hand vintage clothing store me and my son were shopping Thanks for picking us up and bringing us back to do this podcast. Did you guys get anything good there? I didn't ask. Did you get anything yeah, good? Yeah, I haven't got a whole load of stuff. Oh, yeah, nice. All I right, got good. a coat, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and I was the Uber driver for the day. <laughs> um, all right, don't forget, everyone, uh, you can follow me on uh, Instagram and Facebook. It's at that record got me high. On X, it's at TRGMH Podcast. You can email me at TRGMH33 at gmail.com. Most importantly, if you want to become a patron of the show, I would appreciate it. Go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH. Mickey, once again, thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. All right, I'm Rob Elba. We'll see you all next week. We're out of here.